Christmas. Who's keen for looking around Christmas lights? Oh, the back row are coming strong now. Well done. All right. All right. So the very first lighting of a Christmas tree falls to the honour of Martin Luther. Martin Luther was a, a reformant and a priest, and he loved the night sky. He would often walk through the, um, the pine groves and look up at the night sky, and he thought one Christmas to celebrate Christ, I will cut down one of these trees and I will tie candles to it. I'm not sure how the story ended, but he was the first one to light up a Christmas tree. Then in 1895, President Grover Cleveland used lights to light up a Christmas tree in the White House, and that created this worldwide phenomenon where everyone said, well, if the President of America is doing it, we're going to do it too. So early in the 1900s, it would cost you $450 to light your Christmas tree, just to put the lights on it. So those of you that have done under that this year, well played. In San Diego, if you leave Christmas tree lights up past February 2nd, you can be fined $250. Thankful that we live here, right? We can just leave them up all along and then go again in December. The Guinness World Record for the most lights used on a residential property is held by the Gay family from Langronville, Langronville New York, that in 2004, 14, they spent two months decorating their two-acre property with 601,736 lights. Any challenges for that, Dale? You're keen to overthrow that this year? Every year, 10 million kilograms of Christmas lights that no longer work are shipped to Xinjiang in China, where they are broken down into different materials and recycled for new products. For example, slipper soles. Christmas lights account for 6% of the nation's energy consumption in December. There you go. So regardless of what I say from here, I'm sure you've learned something new this morning in church. Who plans to go Christmas light hunting this year? You, can, you don't have to be ashamed. You can be proud. I'm going. It's, it's become a family tradition of ours since the kids became enamored by the idea of Christmas lights. And we go out and it starts with great enthusiasm. There's one. There's one. And then Zari says the dreaded word. She says, hey, Hamish, let's count them. No, 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 no. We're not spending the next hour listening to you count up to 4,000. There are lights everywhere at Christmas. In fact, if you said, what is Christmas about? Surely in your top five, it would be lights. Isaiah the prophet, who we heard from just before, he would have loved our expression of Christmas. It's as if Isaiah 4,000 years ago could envisage it when he said, the people walking in darkness, they have seen a great light. On, on those living in the land of deepest darkness, a light has dawned. Isaiah's world was filled with darkness, with expressions of evil everywhere. It was the same for Jesus' time. Violence, injustice, addiction, abuse of power, homelessness, refugees facing oppression, families being torn apart, bottomless grief. Not much has changed really, has it, in the last 4,000 years, they are realities. We all live in the midst of. 
Darkness, when the Bible talks about darkness, it's talking about two things at the same time. First of all, it's talking about the presence of evil in our world. And second, it's talking about our ignorance to the presence of evil in this world. So when, when the Bible says we live in a dark world, it's saying we live in a world where evil is present, but we are blind to the power and the significance of that evil. You see, we think we know enough to cure the evil and suffering in our world. Each new generation has had a fair go at it since day dot. If we can just be smarter or more generous or more innovative with our technology. But we have not been, humanity has not been able to shift the needle on the presence of evil over the last thousands of years. Nothing we can do can make a difference to the presence of evil in our world. Humanity, without Christ, cannot deal with the problem of evil. The answer, you see, lies not in human brilliance, or character, or moral outworking, or even our innovation. We will never truly see in this dark world except by the light of Christ. We put our hope sometimes in the fact that humanity's brightness and cleverness and goodness is enough. But humanity cannot save itself. We can't save ourselves. If we could, we would have by now, and the world would look very different. But there was a gift that was given by God that has and can and will change things. The Christmas message is this, on those living in a land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. A light has dawned. And that light, it's not from this world. It's not something we have made or created or conjured up to let us see in the dark. It's a light that has dawned upon the world. It's come from outside to save the world. And that light is Jesus Christ. Jesus has brought that light and Jesus is that light. And Isaiah knew it. When he wanted to capture the coming and the arrival of God, he used the metaphor of a sun dawning on a dark world, swallowing up the darkness, disempowering it, causing it to flee and retreat. Darkness cannot stand the light of God's life and truth and beauty. It's because of God's life, light in our world that we can enjoy everything. It's only because of God we can enjoy stuff. The things you love are from God. The reason you love them is because they have God's signature upon them. Everything you enjoy comes from God and you enjoy it and you pursue it and you love it because you're ultimately seeking God to make you whole. God has the life and the truth and the beauty that we cannot generate ourselves apart from God. And this is the light that dawns. Into the world as Jesus arrives, verse 6 is so poignant. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. For us that son is given, and to us that son is given. And the light of God is offered into our darkness, a brilliant gift of love 
sent from a father who is madly in love with his children. And the light has a name. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Isaiah is writing to a people who are, who are living in a land of death and darkness. And he's writing to them about a baby who will come, who will cause the darkness to flee and renew all life and truth and beauty in this world. And he gives this baby four titles to live by. The thing about these four titles that you see here, they were Hebrew titles. They weren't titles that were thrown around to anybody. In fact, they were select for a particular person, and that person was God. These four titles belong only to God. And so Isaiah is painting a picture of a baby who will arrive, who bears the name and the title of God. God among us, coming to us as a human, as a baby. All of a sudden there is hope that things will be different, that that darkness will be beaten back. There is no claim like this in anywhere else in all of religion. It is unique to Christianity. It is what brilliant about Christianity. It is how God's grace saves us. It's unthinkable, actually, that God Almighty, think about it just for a moment, God Almighty, not your version of God, but God Almighty, would ever consider lowering himself to a lowly status of a human. Think about the distance that is to come for God. But when he came, when he came, he arrested the world's attention. He appeared and the world looked upon and has done ever since. And so my question is, has he arrested fully your attention? Has his presence driven out your darkness? For he is a mighty God. He is an everlasting father. He's not the sort of God that you expect to put up a really inspiring Instagram quote that you're like, wow, that's, that's my God. He inspires me. I love being around him. He has some good things to say. I want to be more like him. He's so, he's so wonderful in the way he looks and his appearance and everything, the things he teaches. I just want more of that to make my life better. That is not God Almighty who came at Christmas. If that's the limitations of your view of God, you're missing out on so much of God Almighty. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. He has such a gravitational pull that it changes you forever. There is no pulling away from God when you meet God. You are changed forever. When you realize that he has saved you and you realize what you've been saved from, you are hopelessly and forever God's. That's the Christmas message. Don't settle for living under God's influence. Surrender yourself to his presence. Like his influence is great and it's wonderful, but you can do what you like under God's influence. <laughs> Surrender yourself to his presence and your life will be transformed. And you'll want to because you realize he is wonderful counselor. He is the prince of peace. 
Imagine having that as your byline. Like people come in, you've got your name, and then underneath, it's just got these titles of things you can do. Wonderful counsellor, that's me. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That's, that's a heavy-hitting byline. Don't we each want a wonderful counsellor in God? Someone who we can be with and who can minister to us and can you hear anything we want to say and there'd be no shame in that. There'd just be healing and wholeness and redemption. When I was 16 and I came to faith, that, that idea of wonderful counsel was the thing that revolutionized my life. Finally, there was a God, there was someone in my life, an entity in my life, who not only loved me, but was fully trustworthy. I could say anything I want to God and it was held in trust. And what's more, he would mirror back his love and his encouragement to me. Keen to listen more than anybody else. God is a wonderful counselor because, and here's the beauty of it, he knows what it's like to be human. Like He really knows what it's like to live your life. We have what no other religion has. A God who was born into this world to live life with the same restrictions that you and I live life. He truly understands you. He really does. From inside your experience. Not just looking upon, but when your heart breaks, he knows what that feels like. When you feel betrayed, he understands and feels the depth of that. When you lose a loved one, he knows what that's like. When, he's, when you're abandoned or you're poor or you feel like you have nothing or the future looks bleak, Jesus lived the same life. He knows what it feels like. When you need to summon courage, when you need to beat back anxiety, when you need to address some of the depression in your life and work out, Jesus knows what that struggle is like. He was tortured. He was executed for you. He knows what it's like. The worst of the human expression, Jesus knows. He knows. He knows you. He knows anything you could face. He knows it and he's experienced it. Why would we not want to live our lives with Jesus? Why do we too often live as though our lives aren't connected to Jesus? How wonderful he is. The infinite highness of a mighty God descends into the filth of the human condition, not just to see it and go, oh, I see what it looks like. I see how bad it is. But to know it and to experience it as breathtaking. And then to save us from it. By going to the cross freely, voluntarily, out of sheer love for us. Jesus replaces our dead darkness with his living light because he is the light of the world. And the light shows us truth and heals our spiritual blindness. And the beauty of that light breaks the addictions we have toward money or substances or sex or power. And that light accompanies us into the shadow of death where no other companion can go except Jesus to lead us out the other side. He is your wonderful counsellor and your mighty God and your everlasting father and your prince of peace.
So I want to talk honestly just for a few minutes. I want us to be honest, not even with each other, but between us and God. Some of you, I imagine, in fact, I I feel like God has put this on me, so I don't know who this is, but some of us live under the status of being saved, but we are living with darkness that the gospel has not had a chance to speak into. Some of you would say, I'm a Christian, and I would put money on the fact you'll make it into heaven. We're not talking about that. But you live with a darkness or in a darkness that the gospel wants to speak into and disempower for you. The gospel wants to shine a light into your darkness. And right now, you're probably ashamed of it. And God is saying, do not be ashamed. Bring it to me. Don't be fearful of it anymore. Bring it to me. That's what the gospel does. It's like this massive torch that just opens up everything so you can see everything. And we keep stuff hidden, don't we? And we hold on to it or we find it lurking in our lives. And if anybody else knew that I as a Christian or as a human dealt with this, what would they think? And Jesus goes, I already know. I still love you, but I still accept you. Let me deal with the darkness. Verse 5 says of this passage, it's tucked away in the middle of there. It's this beautiful moment when Isaiah says, every, every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment that's rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be the fuel for the fire. What he's saying is your armor that you use for battle. Your boots that carry you into war, your weapons that you brandish, they're no longer needed. Burn them up. They're no longer yours. Because now there is one who fights for you. There is one who enters the fray on your behalf. There is one who battles for the light in your soul all day, every day. He loves you. He fights for your mental health. He fights for your broken relationships and for your heartache and for your loss of self-esteem and the pride that lingers in your life and for your anger and for your desire to impress others and for your fear. He fights for you and all of those things. He fights to take the darkness from you, to triumph. And that victory over evil will not require your strength. Because humanity has shown us over the last thousands of years, you have no chance when it comes to facing evil. But there is one who fights for you that has overcome evil, that has exhausted evil of its power and hands you a victory. So all we can do is fall on our knees in thanks to God. God, that you would do this for me? I don't deserve this. Thank you. Thank you. And he continues to fight for us. Now, Isaiah waits 44 chapters before he circles back to who this person is and how this person fights. In Isaiah 53, verse 4, it's talking about Jesus says, He has pierced, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought, brought us peace was put on him, and by his wounds, We are healed. Wow. Wow. He fought for you and he has won. 
And sometimes in humanity as people, it's hard to take hold of the fullness of that victory, which is why we have the gospel that we need to keep preaching to ourselves. That Jesus offers us light. He offers him his very self to chase away the darkness. When Jesus went to the cross, he traded his darkness for our light with his light. He traded our darkness with his light. And when we trust in the work of Christ on behalf of us, rather than in anything we do, God forgives us and accepts us and implants his Holy Spirit in us to renew us from the inside out. So I want to give you each the opportunity to respond to God this morning. And, and there's, there's a number of different kind of groups in our thing, but I want to speak to all of you like at once, because some of you have had an incredible week of ministry, but there might still be a darkness there that you're like, I can't acknowledge that. Look how good a Christian I've been. <laughs> no, no, that's not what it's about. We're about encountering the gospel. Some of you have been following Jesus for a long, long time. And, and there's this element in that of, I should have it all together, and maybe I don't. You shouldn't. You should, no one should ever have it all together. That is the value of the gospel, and acknowledging that and realizing that. And some of you might be brand new to faith or never have responded to Christ this morning. And it might be an opportunity for you to do that. See, some of you might feel like you need renewing. You're sitting there and you're like, I just need God to renew me. Well, you'll have an opportunity to respond in just a moment. And the response will be, as I pray, just to put up your hand to say to God, like, I'm here. Some of you are done with the darkness in you. You're just sick to death of it. You're done. Bring on more of the light. Some of you have sensed the Holy Spirit draw for you a different picture of Jesus this morning, and he looks way better than you thought he would be. Some of you need the reassurance that Jesus is fighting for you, because, gosh, sometimes it feels like he isn't, and what's going on, and you need that reassurance this morning. And some of you just need more light. Just light me up. Light me up. And so we're going to pray. And as we pray, we just create some space for God's, God to minister to us. I'm going to invite you, if you want to respond to what God is doing in your life this morning, just to put up your hand. Nobody else is going to be looking, but just put up your hand. I'm going to know to pray for you, but God's going to see that hand. He's going to see in action the way we lead our spirits by the use of our bodies. And so, so a response to God is saying, my spirit is toward you, God. Help me shine your light into me. Because the only way we can receive these things is if in your heart, it doesn't matter what your, your mouth says, but in your heart, if you realize I don't deserve it. It's the irony of the gospel. <laughs> that when we realize we don't deserve it, then we get it. It's incredible. And when you admit that, a great light will be seen by those walking in darkness. And on those living in the land of deep darkness, a light will dawn. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we just invite your spirit here. We invite you to come and be amongst us.